All right, without further ado, let's pull out our Bibles this morning. It's, uh, I got something burning inside of my heart, and uh, I, got a, I got a lot of places that we want to go. If you're joining us today for the first time, we are on a series that we've been on for the summer months on activation. And we believe that one of the things as we entered into our 21-day fast at the beginning of the year, one of the things that the Father spoke to me and to the team was that this is a year for us to be activated meaning that the thing that God has put inside of our lives to accomplish and the person or the people that God has created us to be, we want that to come alive inside of us. And so if you are new to us, you can always follow the previous messages on our podcast, which can be found at antioch.is, antioch.is, and you can access all of our previous messages. Today, I'm gonna talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in activation. I'm gonna talk about the fact that you and I cannot be activated without Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask you today for a greater dispensation and a greater demonstration and a greater distribution of the Holy Spirit of God. We are asking that we would be rebaptized today. We are asking that you would fill us and refill us and infill us and refill us again and again and again. We're asking Jesus, who you are the baptizer, that you would hold us down in the waters of the Holy Spirit. We ask God that today, under the sound of the preaching of the word, anyone here who has not made a personal decision to be uh, filled with the Spirit by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior and as King, we pray for the kindness and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the gospel to be made real. We pray for the atmosphere to be conducive for souls to be saved today. We pray for dry bones to come alive. We pray for dead dreams to be resurrected. We pray for the spirit of the living God to hover over us and cause life to spring forth. We ask you these things by faith in the name of Jesus. Antioch Church said, amen. Let's begin in John chapter four. John chapter four, and we'll take a look here at verse 24. And just to give us a little context here, Jesus is speaking with a woman at a well. She is a Samaritan. He's sitting down there having an incredible dialogue. And to give us a little bit of context here in verse 21, we'll start. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I believe that Antioch Church is filled with people who worship God in spirit and in truth. I believe that's who we are. I believe that's what God has built into this place and I'm so proud of that. Verse 24 says, God is spirit. Would you just mind saying God is spirit with me this morning? God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. It's important for us to begin with the foundational truth that before we talk about Holy Spirit that we understand that God is spirit. He is not a man. He is not limited by physical body. He is spirit. The essence of who God is, is spirit. Genesis 1.26 says that you and I were created in the image of God, the image and the likeness of God. We are a three-part being. You are a spirit. The very essence and the core of your being is spirit. It's not your mind. It's not your thinking. It's not your intellect. It's not your ability to reason. It's not your brilliant ideas. It's your spirit. That is the core of who you are. It's not your emotion, it's not your personality. Your personality is connected to your soul. All the things that I just mentioned are your soul. Your soul is your mind, your soul is your will. Some of you have an incredible will, grit, tenacity, determination, a strong will that is a gift of God. It must come underneath the leadership of your spirit and God's spirit but it is still a very unique part of who you are. Your personality is connected to your soul. You also have a body. You live in a physical body. 
Your physical body is like a glove. If you put your hand in a glove without your hand operating within that glove, that glove is lifeless, it is dead. Our physical bodies will die, they will perish. They are made out of dust and they will return to dust. But our physical body gives us expression in the natural world. Our spirit is the essence of who we are. Our spirit is what is eternal in nature. Our spirit is the part of us that is made in the image of God. Our spirit is the part of us that connects with God, communes with God and communicates with God. We don't communicate with God by our personality. We don't communicate with him by our emotions or our thinking. We communicate with God by our spirit. And as we grow and mature in the Christian journey, we learn how to think spirit thoughts. We learn how to pay attention to what God is saying in the realm of our spirit. And then that translates into our understanding, into our mind, because God is spirit. All of these things are very important for us to understand because the next point I wanna make is that it is the spirit of God that brings life. Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter one. And we're gonna look at the first verses here of Genesis. The context here very simply is this is the creation account This is our beginning of the physical created order. Now it's important for us to understand that God has always existed. Cute little story as we were driving on our vacation, out of the mouth of babes, it was probably about 10 p.m. at night. We're heading heading through uh, out of Fort Collins, heading north. And I don't even, I can't remember the context of the conversation but somewhere my kids were talking about where God was created. And I said, well, we're created and everything that you see is created, but God was never created. He has always been, he has always existed. So our point of reference in the created order, our point of reference in the natural material world begins at the point of creation, but God has no beginning and he will never have any end. Genesis chapter one, verse one, scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and it was empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering. The Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I'm gonna just break this down here very quickly. One of the words here in the Hebrew that explains, it says the earth was formless. That word there means chaos, nothingness. In our lives, when we don't have order, we have chaos. Without the order of God, without the peace of God, without the direction of God, without the presence of God, there's chaos, there's emptiness. Things are formless. Lack of direction, lack of peace, lack of purpose in our lives. And that is, that is what was going on. Before God ever created the world, scripture says it was formless, it was without shape, it was without meaning, it was without order, it was without direction, it was chaotic. And then here we find that God's spirit, very important word here, was hovering. That word in the Hebrew is a word that says it means brooding, like a mother hen will brood over her eggs and she'll just, she'll stay close and she'll hover and she'll brood over them until life comes forth. It's very important for us to see here that it's the Holy Spirit of God that before God ever releases a word to bring life, it's the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Spirit of God that's hovering over the chaos of the earth before God creates and brings forth life. Look with me at Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two. We're just building here. It says, and we'll start with verse four. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Verse seven. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And here's the so important. And he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So here 
The spirit of the Lord is hovering over chaos, emptiness, darkness, formless earth. God speaks and life comes forth. Genesis chapter two, verse seven, God is playing with the dust of the ground. I just get like Play-Doh in my mind, forming it. I wonder how many times as he was shaping Adam, he, he just stopped and did it all over again. Or maybe since he was perfect, he just got on the first try. But he, here he is, he's shaping Adam and he's carving out hair and he's, he's, he's inserting nostrils and he's carving out, chiseling out abs. And he's just cutting all those things into the right places. But up until then, Adam was just a statue. He was a lifeless, formless form. He was a shell until the life that was in God, the word there, breath, ruah, which is also the word for spirit. The same word for breath in the Hebrew is the same word for spirit. So God breathed, he imparted, he transferred the life of his spirit into man. And all of a sudden, that empty, formless, lifeless shell was a living being, a life-bearing creature of God. And why is that? Because it is the spirit of God that brings life. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. We're going somewhere with all this. And we'll begin here in Luke chapter one. And to give you a little context, there's a gal by the name of Mary, a little Jewish girl, and an angel shows up to her and he essentially says, you're, you're going to conceive with a child, although she had not had natural relations with a man. And we'll pick up the story here in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God and you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Interesting there that that phrase that he will come upon you in the Greek, very similar to what's happening here in the Hebrew, Genesis chapter one, it, it means that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you or he will brood over you. The Holy Spirit will alight himself upon you. The Holy Spirit will hover over you in the same way that the Holy Spirit hovered over the lifeless earth. The Holy Spirit hovered over Mary and brought forth life. The Holy Spirit is the life-giving agent of the Trinity. It is the spirit of God that brings forth life into the earth. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. All right, let's take a look at Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Very powerful passage of scripture as it relates to the power of the prophetic word, as it relates to the power of uh, hearing God's word and declaring God's word, but also as it relates to the spirit of God and the function of God's spirit to bring forth life into dead places. We'll begin in verse one. We'll read a few verses here. Scripture says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel speaking. He's a prophet of the Lord. He was a man chosen and called by God to speak on behalf of God and to carry out God's assignments in the earth. The Spirit of the Lord was upon me and he brought me into the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. 
He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy or speak the word of God to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath, Ruah, spirit. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, there it is again twice, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and the skin covered them, but there was yet no breath in them. Sounds very similar to Genesis chapter two, doesn't it? There is a shell, there is a form, there is potential, there is possibility. And many of you are looking at situations of your life and you can see the shell and you can see the form and you can see the possibility, but yet there's no life. You can see the shell of a marriage. You can see the shell of a family. You can see the shell of physical health and vigor. You can see the shell of prosperity. You can see the shell. You can see the form of your business succeeding. You can see the shell of your future and your destiny, but yet there's no life in it. And here's what God commands the prophet, verse nine, he says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. In other words, begin participating and begin operating in the spirit of God, Ezekiel. Begin now that we've gone through a creative exercise. Now let's incorporate the only thing that has the power to bring life to dead things, that has the power to bring life to potential that has the power to bring life to the form that you've created. Form in and of itself without life is meaningless and it's dead. The greatest substitute for life in the spirit is a form of religion. Do you know what religion is? Uh, I, I feel something stirring now. Religion is the empty, dead, dusty, lifeless shell that is devoid of the life of God. We talk about a dead church or a dead worship service or a dead religion or a dead Christianity. It is a shell without the breath of God, breathing, infusing that, 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 that Christian experience with life that is eternal. You and I were created to be alive. You and I were created, we, we serve a living God. We worship a God who's not dead. Everything about our experience on the earth has the power and the capacity to be infused with life because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, and we'll get there here in a little bit, if you guys recall, in John 14 through 16, these guys were so sad that Jesus was leaving the earth. And Jesus says, listen, it is better for you that I go because until I leave, you're just a shell. Until I leave, you're just an empty, lifeless form. Until I leave, all the teachings I gave you, they'll just become an opportunity for you to manipulate and control people. Until I leave, all the things that you saw me do when I healed the sick and I raised the dead and I multiplied bread, you'll never be able to do it unless I go because you can't do it without the activating breath, without the activating power, without the activating life, without the activating spirit of God inside of you. I've got to go because you've got a job to do. I've got to go because I got to kick you out of the nest and you've got to fly. That's what Jesus was saying. And we have to have the spirit of God to do that. Verse 11, oh, let's go back up to verse nine. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. 
I want you to know this day that in every dead area of your life that you have the power and you have the authority given to you by God to prophesy by the Spirit, to the Spirit, with the Spirit, into those things that are slain and say, come four winds into the dead areas and come alive. You have the power and the authority by God's spirit inside of you to speak to dead things and call them to life. You ought to activate that in your life. You ought to place your hands on your head and speak to the dead things in your imagination. You ought to, you ought to put your hands on your womb, on your belly, on the place where your spirit resides. You ought to, you ought to put your hands over your heart, over your eyes. If, if, if you've lost vision, put your hands on your eyes and just say, come alive. Four winds of God, come to my eyes and bring life to my eyes. Bring life to my belly. Bring life to my emotions. Bring life to my joy. Bring life to my vigor, my vitality. My, you got to do that. You got to live in that. You got to partner with the Holy Spirit. You got to prophesy with the Spirit to the Spirit to the things that are slain and dead in your life because it is the Spirit of God that is the activating, quickening, life-giving agent of God in the earth. O breath and breathe into these slain that they may live, verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. There's our word again, ruah. And they came to life and watch this and they stood upon their feet, a vast army. You and I cannot fight without the spirit of God. We cannot fight the enemy without the spirit of God. Without the activating agent, without the quickening life-giving agent of the Holy Spirit, if we're not dead bones, we're just a scattered, disassembled people. We are not an army until the spirit of God hovers and breathes upon our life. Let's look at a couple of other things here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter three, and then we'll go to Romans chapter eight, and then things are gonna to start to get fun. 2 Corinthians chapter three, This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And let's just start with verse three. Uh, we'll look at verse two. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts and you're known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. You were written not with ink, but you were written with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter or the law or lifeless, formless, dead religion kills, but the spirit gives life. Anything that we attempt to do in the spirit of God, anything that we attempt to do in our Christian journey that is not being done by the spirit with the spirit will not bring life. Your willpower is not enough to change your life. Your willpower is not enough to free you from sin. Your willpower is not enough to save your marriage. Your willpower is not enough to, br to bring you that overflowing life of God into every arena of your life. It is the spirit that gives life. It's the letter that kills. Laws and rules and regulations and do this and don't do that and you should have, that kills. It invites judgment. Scripture says that knowledge puffs up. You know what that means? It means that Christianity is more than just a scholarly group of people that are believing and thinking the right things. If we don't have the spirit of God breathing on our knowledge, our knowledge will kill. If we don't have the spirit of God breathing upon our belief system, it'll kill. And we're seeing this throughout the world. All throughout the world, we are seeing real-time examples of the lifeless shell of religion killing, literally killing, bringing death, not bringing life. Everywhere God goes, he brings life. Everywhere he goes, he brings life. When he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he brings life. 
He preserves and he sustains and he restores and he infuses and dead things come alive. Uh, while we were out at the cabin, the kids and I, Christine, the kids and I, every night before we go to bed, we sit down by the fireplace and we'd read uh, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And we finished that first book, glorious book. And if you recall, those of you haven't read the book, it's um, without giving you all the details, there's a, a, a good figure, uh, a, really a Christ-like, God-like figure. And there's a white witch. And a white witch has this wand. And this wand has the power to turn her enemies into stone statues. And at the end of the book, after Aslan is killed, and then he comes back, he's resurrected. He grabs the two gals, grabs Lucy and Susan, and he says, and he is, he is full of joy and he's full of life. And he's like, hey, we've got a battle to do, but first we got to go somewhere. And he says, jump on my back. And he runs and he leaps over the wall of the White Witch's castle. And all throughout her castle are stone statues. And he begins to go to these stone statues and he, he breathes on them. And when he breathes on these statues, life re-enters. Friends, let me tell you this morning, if you're looking at your life and you're seeing areas where you're, you, there's not life that is being produced, invite the breath of God. God, breathe on me, breathe on me, breathe your spirit into my spirit and cause that quickening agent of the spirit to cause me to come to life. Look at Romans chapter eight. I'm just building here. I want you to understand that it's the spirit of God that brings life. And we'll look at Romans chapter eight, verse 11. Context here is life through the spirit and how it's by the power, it's by the power of Jesus's death and resurrection that you and I can conquer sin. Isn't that a great promise for us? And it says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, now let's just pause right there. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Holy Spirit did, because it's the Holy Spirit that brings life. So when Jesus, oh, I wish I had time to go here, but you have to understand, why don't we just put your finger here in Romans? I've been just, I've been hanging in Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews here for a second. And if I recall... I need to remember where this was at. I believe it was in Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood. Now, who are the children? Us. So since the children have flesh and blood, in other words, that we have been given the legal authority to inhabit the earth with flesh and blood in the created order. He too, meaning Jesus, shared in our humanity, why? So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Do you know why Jesus had to come in flesh and blood? Because unless he had flesh and blood, he could not die. How could Jesus die at the right hand of the Father? And if he did not die, how could he trust that God would ruah life back into him, thus enabling him to now destroy death? The only way you can destroy death, you don't destroy death by avoiding death, you destroy death by dying to death and then coming to life again over death. That's why scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where is your sting? You ain't got no sting no more because I became a man so that I could die and I died to show you that I'm greater than you because you can't hold life down. Can't hold it down. So now we look over here at Romans chapter eight. Jesus had to become a man. He had to put on flesh and blood so that he could die. He had to die so that he could defeat death, i.e. the devil. 
That's what the scripture says in Hebrews 2.14. Now Romans chapter eight, verse 11 says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that was hovering over the formless, empty, chaotic, lifeless shell of the earth, the same spirit that was breathed into Adam, the same spirit that came upon the valley of dry bones lives inside of you. He lives inside of you, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit of God who brings life. Now, so when we talk about being activated by the spirit of God, let's go to John chapter 14. And if I have time here in these next 10 minutes, I'm gonna to try to break down a very simple, but a very, very important concept that in a lot of ways has brought a lot of confusion to the body of Christ for many years. I spoke to the SPAN gathering last night, the SPAN network, and I was telling them how every major weapon has been warred over throughout the, throughout the history of the church. If you think, healing, how, when you look at the, the, uh, the history of the church and you have people that create these doctrines or their ideas that say healing is not for you. In fact, if you wanna be holy, you ought to be sick. Why is that? Think about that. You need your health to advance the kingdom of God. You need your strength and your vigor to go and plant churches and, and start businesses and, and, and do the things that God has called you to do. You need strength in your body. What about the idea that says, um, um, if you really wanna be godly, you ought to be poor. Why is that? Because the enemy knows that it takes resources to advance God's kingdom in the earth. And so he's warring over a weapon. He's warring over a revelation. He's warring over something in order to keep the people of God living below the full measure of their power. And another one of those critical areas is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why is it that 2,000 years later, why is it that the church of Jesus was birthed and baptized in the Spirit and now we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit? And now we're, we're just, we're charismatic churches with seat belts on. What does that even mean anyways? I don't want a seatbelt. John chapter 14, charismatic church with a seatbelt. We need to create a bumper sticker that says, no, that gets in trouble. <laughs> Verse 15, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now watch this, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. He lives with you and he will be in you. Now, let me just, just kind of use a little bit of the visual here. All right, that right there, that is your spirit. That is the spirit of man. When you and I, thank you. So you have to understand that, and I'm not gonna do this for the sake of uh, just not making a mess, but when God created Adam and he breathed spirit into Adam, Adam's spirit man was full. He had the fullness of God living inside of him without sin. And when God spoke to Adam, he says, listen, if you disobey me on dying, you will die. That's what the Hebrew there says, you will die. And it means that on dying, you will die. So essentially what happened was the first part of Adam, the core of Adam, the essence of Adam died, which was his spirit. Right? And so though Adam's spirit was full, the moment he sinned and disconnected from union with God, that life-giving flow of water, that life-giving flow of spirit within Adam was gone. It was empty. It was removed. His spirit man essentially died. The place where he communicated, connected, and, and communed with God was now empty. 
All right, now this is what Jesus says. Now Jesus comes on the earth and Jesus is completely full of the Holy Spirit. He has all Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not being shared anywhere else on the earth. It is all in Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look at, look at verse 17. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. Jesus is saying, at the time I am with you, I will raise the dead, I will preach the gospel, I will, I will distribute the full power of the life-giving agent of the Holy Spirit and you get to enjoy that because I am with you. But guess what? As long as I'm with you, he cannot be in you. And he says, I am with you and he will be in you. Now go to John chapter 20. We need to make a distinction here. Upon receiving Christ Jesus, upon acknowledging that we have sinned and offended God, upon acknowledging the perfect sacrifice of Jesus upon a cross, upon acknowledging it is your death that destroyed sin, it destroyed my shame. Your blood removed my guilt. Upon acknowledging that and upon saying, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe and come enter my life. Do you know what happens? At that very moment, the Holy Spirit enters into you. We call that the Holy Spirit within. I want you to say Holy Spirit within. It's very important for us to understand this. It is the Holy Spirit within. The moment you become a believer, the Holy Spirit enters your life. He inhabits your spirit. And that's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 and in 1 Corinthians 6, the scripture says that you are the temple or you are the container or you are the housing unit where the Holy Spirit can abide. You are the form where the Holy Spirit now can come abide. Without a physical form and a spirit for the Holy Spirit to inhabit, he cannot enter in and he cannot have access and authority into the earth. Are we still tracking today? So here in John chapter 20, and we'll look here at uh, verse 19 to get context. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. So Jesus has been crucified perfect sinless sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Jesus has been resurrected and he is coming back now to his disciples. He shows them his hands and his sides. The, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. With that, he breathed on them. I'm gonna read something here for you, very interesting, I found. The word there, breathe, is only used once in the New Testament. To blow or breathe upon, the Greek word here used is employed nowhere else in the New Testament, but it is the very one used by the Septuagint translators of Genesis 2, verse seven. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. There, at man's original creation was completed by this act of God. Who then can fail to see that here in John 20, on the day of the Savior's resurrection, the new creation had begun, begun by the hand or the head of the new creation. The last Adam was being quickened by the Spirit. How many of you would agree that when Jesus breathed the spirit, do you see this right here in John chapter 20? It says, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe those guys were saved? Their spirits were dead. He breathed on them just like God breathed on Adam. Adam came alive and they came alive. They were already living physically. He said, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathed into them. How many of you say they were alive spiritually? How many would say that salvation can also be translated as living spiritually? Jesus says you must be born again, all right? Same concept, different words. Are we all together on this? All right, so when Jesus breathed into them and water, spirit entered into their spirit, they were alive spiritually. 
Now, go with me to Acts chapter one. We all agree that they're saved. Are we, are, are we all in agreement? We all agree that the spirit of God was then within them. Are we all in agreement? Now let's look at Acts chapter one, verse four. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Everybody say, wait for the gift. Which my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now the classic argument here is that we don't need a baptism because the baptism of the Spirit and the receiving of the Spirit are the same thing. And if they are the same thing, my argument to you is if Jesus released the Spirit of God into them in John chapter 20, then why is he telling them to wait for the gift of the Spirit being baptized? Look at verse eight. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So in John chapter 20, the Spirit is in you. And there's a lot of people walking around today and they love God and they're going to heaven. And they know Jesus and they're going to heaven. But friends, going to heaven is not the deal. There is a job to do on the earth. And if it were all about going to heaven, why did God not snuff out our lives the moment we said yes to him? Because there is an assignment and there is a prophetic destiny and there is a kingdom to be advanced and there are people that must come alive and there are people that must prophesy to dry bones. In fact... And and watch this here in verse 11. This is so incredible. Men of Galilee, well, verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as Jesus was going into the sky when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, get get to work. Why do you stand looking into the sky hoping that he'll come back? He's told you to wait for the outpouring of the spirit because you've got a job to do. Spirit within, spirit upon. Now, in the natural, if I were to turn this on, what would happen? I think somebody said overflow. That's why in John chapter seven, and Jesus stood up and he said that rivers of living water will flow up from your spirit out from your life. The moment you get filled, you now have capacity for overflow because you will not get overflow until you get infilled. He will not overflow that which has not been infilled. Infilling is stage one. Jesus, you are my Lord. I belong to you. I repent of my sin. Come in and clean out my temple. Fill this container with life. Now you are a candidate for overflow. Now you are a candidate for the life-giving power of God's spirit flowing through your life so that you can give life-giving water to dry bones all around you. You know what I want? Oh, I wish I could show you. I want, I want, I want to be walking around with the life-giving hose of God and spilling everywhere I go, just spilling. Hey, hey, you want a little water? Come over here. You want you a little dry? You a little thirsty? Come over here because I've got enough. I don't have to be afraid because the life-giving flow of God's spirit is overflowing in my life. I've got enough joy. I've got enough victory. I've got enough power. I've got enough life inside of me because the flow of the Holy Ghost is filling me over and over and over again every day. I don't want just an end. I don't want to just receive. I don't want just the spirit within. I want the spirit upon I want the baptism. I want the power. The spirit within 
It's for conscience. It's for governance. It's for guidance. It's for the ability to connect with heaven. The spirit upon it's for power. It's for assignment. It's for transformation. It's for the advancement of the kingdom. It's for raising up the sick. It's for healing the sick. It's for delivering devils. I want the power. See, here's what we need to understand. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, book of Joshua, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, you would find that the scripture says, there's a guy by the name of Samuel, remember uh, Samson. Judges chapter 14, remember Samson? What does the Bible say? Do you know what the Bible says? It says that whenever the Philistines would bind him, it says the spirit of God will come upon him. But the spirit of God was coming upon an empty vessel. And so when the spirit of God will come upon that empty vessel, it will come upon that vessel for a moment. And that's why the scripture says when Saul became king, he was, the spirit of God came upon him for a moment and he prophesied. But I don't wanna prophesy for a moment, I wanna live the prophetic life. And I don't wanna shake myself and realize the spirit of God has left. I want the infilling and I want the overpowering and I wanna live that way day in and day out. And I could show you five accounts in the New Testament in the book of Acts where people, I could show you, where people who had received Jesus, who remember, do we agree that if you receive Jesus, that your cup is filled with the spirit? Do we agree with that? Do we agree that according to Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, what does the scripture say? That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And if we believe that, if you're saved, then you have God's spirit living inside of you. Then why is it that in five accounts in the New Testament that people came and says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you have believed? Why? It's because they're two separate events. The infilling the overpowering, the Holy Spirit within, the Holy Spirit upon, the Holy Spirit, that direct, that direct pipeline of God's spirit from God himself entering into your spirit and never running dry. And this is why I wanted the students to stay here because I wanna tell you that until I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, I was telling the staff this this morning, I said I was a quiet, timid, shy, insecure, uncertain follower of man. Dan looked at me and said, all of those words that you just used are not, they're, 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 that is not describing you at all. I said, I'm, I'm serious. Uncertain, insecure, always looking to other people for my validation, afraid, timid, no boldness, no confidence, couldn't speak the way that I speak now. And the moment I got filled with the Holy Spirit in this little country time revival service, I became a different man. Because the spirit of God that was within received the spirit of God that was upon and overflow happened. And Acts chapter one, verse eight happened, but you will receive power. You will receive power. You will receive power. I'm telling you, friends, you need power for the assignment. Power without assignment is just good looks. Beach body muscles. I don't want beach body muscles, man. I want functional. I want fit. I want lean. I want furious. I want, I want, I want to be able to get in and get the job done. And you need the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this quick testimony. I want to say this to every college student, and every high school student. Jonathan, you can come up if you want. I want to say this to every single person who's young and every person here who is not experienced. You may be saved, but salvation is not the end road. I'm done. I'm done with, praise God for salvation. We need salvation. It's the door. It's the beginning place. It's step one. It's the first domino in the line. But you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you are still wrestling with the same sins? Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you are afraid to be a witness to your neighbor? Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you are afraid, you're still uncertain whether or not you're gonna go all the way with God? Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you wanna come up here and dance and jump and sing and cry out to God, but you're afraid of what people will think? Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It will, cha it will change your life. I was a sophomore in high school. 
My mom said, you're gonna come to this service with me tonight. I said, I will not. She said, yes, you will. I was dressed, looking like an idiot. Clothes five times too big for me. I walked into this service and folded my hands the entire time. There was an evangelist, nobody knows his name. He's called Jack Rowe. He's probably about 65 years old. I, I don't remember a thing he preached about. There was a man by the name of Bishop Holcomb that was sitting in front of me at the end of this service. This old country time evangelist preacher said, I'm gonna make an invitation for the baptism of the spirit. When I was in the seventh grade, I went to an assembly of God youth camp and I tarried at the altar for two hours, crying out to God to baptize me in the spirit and nothing happened, I got bitter. I said, I will never ask God for this again. I sat there with my arms folded. My mom was on the front row. She turned around five seats back and she says, get up here. And I said, I will not. <laughs> this man by the spirit of God inside of him turned around and he said, son, I feel the Lord has spoken to me. He said, when I walked by you tonight, my spirit inside of me leapt. Little did he know that the same thing happened to me. This man walked by, he, he three-piece suit, overcoat, hat, and he walked by and something was just, I was drawn to him. Couldn't explain it. He said, son, I want you to know that, God, that the Lord spoke to me. He says, he's got a powerful call in your life for your generation and you must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you want, I'll walk down there to the front with you. first major altar of my life I got out of that seat I walked down that aisle and I wasn't but from him to Caitlin and he pointed at me this man did and I fell back speaking in the Holy Ghost friends my life has never been the same I immediately went to the church that I went to had a youth group we didn't have a full-time youth pastor. We had dads and who were American dads in the Korean church. They'd come out in and out and they'd filter in and out. And for a season, my dad was a youth pastor there. And uh, on a Friday night where all the Korean moms were praying, a lot of the kids, a lot of us youth, we just kind of did whatever we want to. And I remember after I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I went to all these students, about 20 of us. And I said, guys, God's changed my life. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, you guys want this? And they're like, sure. I didn't know what to do. I said, let's all get in a circle and hold hands and I'm just gonna pray in the Holy Ghost. And we got in a circle and held hands and I just and I just did that. And before you know it, one after one, they'd pop up and they'd start praying in the Holy Ghost, one after the other. Oh, and it just, it just took over every single one of us. I remember when I was a sophomore in college, I was working the summer at a, at, at a summer camp. I was a counselor at a summer camp and one week out of the year, we would have an inner city camp. 300 young kids from the inner city would come in. And I had this gal, she was a friend of mine. She was a great, incredible, godly girl, loved the Lord, belonged to a Methodist church. And she came to me one night and she said, Jade, I don't know what to do with these guys. They, none of them will listen to me. And, and, and I'm trying to rally them all together. Every one of the camp counselors had about 12 kids in their group. And, and during the inner city camp, we had 15 to 20 sometimes because we just had so many more that came in. And she said, I just, they won't listen to me. They'll, 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 they'll curse at me. They'll run away from me. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you know what I do when I don't know what to do? I pray in the Holy Ghost. She said, well, what is that? And I began, I walked her through all these scriptures and I talked with her about the five incidents of the book of Acts where people were saved and loved God but didn't have the baptism and took her to Romans chapter eight that says, when you know not how to pray, you ought to pray in the Holy Ghost. I got off the phone call with her that night and she began walking out in her backyard just loving on the Lord. And I said, I don't know what to tell you. I just said, go love on the Lord and talk with him and, and, uh, and he'll fill you. Luke, Luke chapter nine says that if you ask him, he will give it to you. And she came back to me the next morning with this beaming, glowing face. And she says, I was out in my backyard. I didn't know what to do. I just lifted my hands, began praising God. And all of a sudden I began speaking in other tongues. She says, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all that week during inner city camp, when those little kids, they'd act up and they'd be unruly. She just walked by and she just, and there was a peace and there was a wisdom and there was a guidance. Friends, I can't tell you how many situations that I've been in 
I've been in Middle Eastern countries where Dan and I were preaching and, 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 and rumors of Muslims being down there. I'm, I'm talking about hot spots in the world. And all I knew to do was say, I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom, but I have the Holy Ghost. I have the heavenly language. I have the mysteries. I have the Spirit of God praying to God on my direct behalf. And I want you to know today, this is for now. This is for you. And listen, I felt in my spirit so strong. There are some of you that would be here today and say, well, I've already received the baptism. Take you to Ephesians. I'm just going to break you off real quick. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled. The verb there in the Greek means be continually being filled. You need, an, you need a fresh infilling every day. Church, let's stand to our feet. You ought to say every morning you wake up, oh, Jesus, baptize me afresh. Fill me again. Fill me again. I want every, I'm not gonna force anybody, but listen, if you're here today, and I wanna, I wanna speak, number one, directly to the students here. If you are here today, if you are a young student and you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I wanna invite you to come up here and I'm gonna need all of our life group leaders and all of our mothers and fathers in the house to help me with this because I am believing today, today to be a day of baptism. Today could be a day that could mark your life. It could transform you, it could empower you. If you're here and you're a young person and you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I wanna invite you, come on up here. I wanna lay hands on you. I wanna pray for you. I wanna surround you. I wanna believe in you. Any young person, I wanna start there. Every young person, I'm telling, there's no, there's no force, there's no manipulation, there's no pressure, but I'm telling you, it is, this is vital. This is necessary for your life. This is the next step. Awesome, I'm so proud of you, I'm so proud of you, I'm so proud of you. If you can pray in the spirit all around this room, I want you just to create an atmosphere and create an environment where the dis distribution of the spirit of God is available. Now before we go here, you need to understand, you cannot be infilled until you have been filled. How many of you here today would say, I do not know Jesus, I have never repented of my sin, I have never asked him to come in and fill my life, I have never accepted his lordship, but I wanna do that right now, I wanna be a believer, I wanna be a part of the family. If that's you, just throw your hands up, we'll settle this right now. If you're here today, come on, thank you, sweetie, throw your hand way up in the air, we'll just settle this right here. I want everybody in this room and all you young ones, pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, come on with strength. Say, dear Jesus, say, I believe you are God and you are God's son. You died for my sin. You wiped it away. You rose again from the dead. You invite me into your family and I receive. I wanna be in your family and I wanna follow you. Now I welcome your spirit into my spirit. Now beyond the youth, and listen, oh my goodness, guys, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Give me a minute, I'm gonna come down here. Life group leaders, moms and dads, come on down here. But listen, if you are here and you may not be a youth, but you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come up here to the front. Come on up here to the front. How many of you would say, I have not received my prayer language. I have not received the empowerment of the spirit. I, I have the spirit within, but I don't have the spirit upon and I want it. I need to have it. I, I, I'm gonna ask God for it. How many of you here today would say, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Friends, listen, I know we're going a couple minutes long, but in the scheme of eternity, this right here could literally change the entire trajectory of your life. All right, guys, now listen. In fact, moms and dads, just get around these guys, put your hands on them, and then young ones, young ones and old, anybody here who, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to pray this with me. In fact, if you wouldn't mind just kind of lifting up your hands. I always find this is so important because it's, it, it is a demonstration of surrender. And it's a way we say, I'm opening myself to you. And I want you to say this with me, with your lips. I want you to say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, 
Come and say, Jesus, you are the baptizer. And I ask you to baptize me with your spirit. Let's say it again. Say, dear Jesus, you are the baptizer. And I ask you to baptize me with your spirit. Now listen, it is the Holy Spirit who speaks through you, but he cannot speak through a closed mouth. He will not speak through a closed mouth. And so what I want you to do, just begin worshiping God. You have to begin speaking. You have to give him language, all right? And what'll happen here, young ones and old, you will begin hearing by your spirit. You will begin hearing from your spirit a language. And what you hear, speak. What you hear, release. Just go ahead and begin to speak that which you are hearing. All around church, we need the strength of the corporate body. Just let's pray for them. Let's pray in the spirit. I'm gonna lay hands. Here in about five minutes, we'll have our release. But this is a holy moment.